Corey's a first-time homebuyer. Corey is rad. Corey has a very fun, dry wit. And Corey got $18,500 from the seller as a first-time homebuyer in a crazy competitive market. And when I asked him how he did that, his low-key, dry wit answer was, oh, I had no idea what was going on. But he didn't mean that in a bad way. He meant that he was in over his head and his unicorn team not only helped him save the deal, but I got him $18,500 credited back to him and he was damn happy to move into a home with only 5% as his down payment, but he instantly had 10% equity in the home before he even got his keys. Right up front, I want you to know, gang, the audio on this one kind of sucks. Uh, not up to the how to buy a home standard. Sorry about that, but it's worth fighting through to hear this story. Here comes the crappy audio. Let's go right after the song. Okay, hi everybody. Uh, very excited right now. We've got one of our first time home buyers here. Uh, from Dallas, Texas, reached out to me at the end of last year. This is Corey, and I think we got him uh, in a home in, let's see, December, January, February, uh, under 90 days, uh, or just over 90 days, I believe it was. So, um, Corey, how you doing, buddy? You in your new home right now? Doing good, yeah. I'm uh, in my new office. I've never had an office before, so definitely a good feeling. That's pretty cool. It's so funny. I've had interviews with people and uh, some people have been excited about an office. Some people have been excited about a yard. I had one uh, interview where the guy was more excited about the storage space than anything else. So oh, I'm there too. I'm definitely there too. Yeah. <laughs> you got you got place to put all your... Now here's a question. Have you bought too much stuff now that you have space for it? Or is your is your stuff now finally have enough space? Oh, I blew all my money on a condo, so I'm uh, waiting to fill the space for now. <laughs> I love it. Well, that's that is a very smart move. So you blew all your money on a condo. That's a great way for us to start. What would you say is uh, your biggest takeaway of the whole process? Either something that was scary or something that was reassuring uh, that you were going to throw all your money into buying a condo. I honestly was kind of surprised at just how easy the process was. Um, it seemed like my realtor took care of most of the hard part. I just had to plan out my budget, decide what I wanted, and then go look at houses. Once we got into the contract stage, the realtor handled all the heavy lifting. Lenders called me with questions. I answered them. Title company called me and asked for money. I sent it. Um, other than that, just pretty straightforward, easy process. This is the hardest part of my job right now. I got to tell you, Corey, because uh, I know why. And uh, but if I promise that to every other person who hears our podcast today, um, I have to make sure that you understand that there can be some difficulties. Yes. But, uh, <laughs> but um, you're, you're working with James and his team right now. Did you work with Cole? Yes, I worked with Cole. Okay. I just met Cole. Uh, in person. We've worked together over the phone for years. I just met him in Nashville like two months ago. Uh, had a 10-minute conversation with him. At, at, well, I had a long conversation with him, but three minutes into the conversation, I went, this is a really bright guy. And that's why, and he's part of a really good team. 
there are 3 million Asians out there and there are probably, you know, <laughs> I would joke and say there's close to a million in Dallas, but there's, there's probably close to a hundred thousand realtors in Dallas, but he's, I'm glad it went easy for you because he's a, he's dedicated to you the first time home buyer. So um, tell us about the process. You, you reached out to me and this is, this is just you, right, sir? Right. Just me. Just you solo. How long had you been thinking about the the process before you you found the podcast and reached out? It had been probably three years or so that I'd been really keeping an eye on the market. I was looking at a number of different things and savings and everything. Um, one of the biggest things for me was paying off all my student loans and car back in 2019. So I came into 2020 with the idea that you know this is going to be the year I can start doing something. Well, things changed a little bit in uh, 2020 around March in the U.S. So that kind of just a, uh, little. Just a little slowed me down <laughs> a little bit. But having that time just to you know sit in and not go out and save money that kind of made the difference. And here I am a couple of years later, now being able to afford something. That's amazing. Okay, for those for those people out there that are are far away. What was your individual process? Paying off student loans in a car pre-pandemic is no small feat. Uh, what, what were some of the things that, that you did to help yourself with budgeting and accountability and setting that up? Well, I'm big on trying to do everything that I can by myself versus you know hiring somebody to do it. I like to cook. I make my own coffee in the morning. I think one of the biggest things for me was, you know, having that student loan and car payment. That's, you know, $600 out of my pocket every single month. But I got used to not having that money. So when I didn't have it anymore, I just saved it instead of spending it. You know, that's one of the steps I did in, in the recent 10 steps to get started is is start practicing uh, your, your new payment. And I think I, I had missed a step there that you could start practicing the savings ahead of time. That's such a genius thing. If you're used to paying that $600 a month, but then you create the payoff plan for it, that's an instant $600 savings every single month. I love the fact that you're a self-doer. Did you use, um, I'm going to get way deep in the weeds because just talking with your audience for five minutes, I can tell I'm like, this is the kind of guy I will call and say, what app do you use for this? Or what spreadsheet do you use for that? So what, what did you use to help you with your budgeting? I'm a big fan of the reverse budget where you take what you know are your expenses every month and instead of saying, okay, here's what I need to save, I say, okay, here's how much I know that I'll need for the month so anything else I can spend. Now, I factor in my savings into that. I'm a big fan of paying yourself first because you know that's money that's going to go towards your future and money. I think one of the biggest things for me is I see money as security more than anything else. So, you know, the more money that I'm sitting on, the less time I have to spend potentially working in my retirement years, the less I have to worry if something goes wrong. So, you know, knowing that I was putting that money away first, that was more valuable to me than anything that I could buy with it. You know, with the the first time homebuyer age averaging uh, 36 last year, I find a lot of times that I, I skip over exactly what you said. I don't know who taught you your money skills. I don't know where you learned your money skills, but thankfully because of the podcast, I'm getting a lot of people 18, 19 and 20 that are listening, <coughs> oh, excuse me, that are listening to the podcast. And 
what you said right there was gold. It's something that usually people at 30 or, or 35 figure out, but your money left over every month that you can spend is after you've allocated your savings. You pay all your bills and then you figure out, uh, okay, and I'm going to put $500 a month every single Every single month, I'm going to put that away. And what's left over is what I have to spend. What most people do is they pay all their bills and then they, what they have left over, they go out and do stuff. And if there's anything left over, then they save it. So that is a, a really great advice, especially for a self-doer. Now, that $600 a month you had, that's like $100,000 worth of a loan for a home. I think that's the thing that people don't realize. With the interest rates around five or six percent or six percent, you're looking at a hundred thousand dollars once you got rid of that student loan and that car payment. So what led you to coming into uh to finding the podcast? Were you researching and looking around on the internet? Uh, pretty much, yeah. I checked a bunch of different topics and I figure, you know, I listen to podcasts all the time. Let me check Spotify and see if they've got something for this. So I think I started with, what was it, episode seven that was like the top 10 tips. Um, yeah, hooked me in with a list. And then just from there, I went back and listened to all the other episodes. And uh, yeah, once I That's awesome. to, yeah the first 20 or 30 episodes, I was like, all right, I probably need to start doing something. Now for you, when you found out, uh, once you reached out to me and then you you met your amazing unicorn team, did you end up finding out that you were in position and ready to go or did you still have to do some shuffling with your money let me put it this way i had my initial consult with a mortgage company on a tuesday and on friday i was conditionally approved they called me and told me it was unheard of for them to approve somebody that fast so i figured they really wanted to give me their money <laughs> so you're so let's suffice it to say that your ducks were, were squarely in a row uh, by the time that you reached out. Yes. Fantastic. Now, were you expecting that or were you expecting there were going to be hoops to jump through? I was expecting it. Um, I thought I might need a bit more money up front for down payments and stuff, but that's one of the things that the podcast helped me to figure out is that I really didn't need as much as I was budgeting for. Did you end up deciding to go with the lower down payment or did you go with the big fat one i went with a five percent down payment if i were planning on like a more permanent home i think i might have wanted to go a little higher but for a uh, first time home i think five percent is more than enough i can't agree more uh i understand that um people want to make sure that they have a big enough cushion but uh at early stages in life cash is king and liquidity matters and if you can get in at 5% with a, a, a decent, how was your mortgage payment? You seem like a planner, someone who could figure it out. Were you prepared to pay more than what you were currently paying in your rent? I think on some level, I was never going to really be prepared for that. My monthly payment more than doubled just because of how cheaply I was living. Um, so it really you know, hampered the amount of money that I was saving every month. But I had to remind myself that's money in equity. I'm just saving it a different way. Wow. Rewind, everybody. I'd like you to understand that when people say to me, I'm already I'm renting, but I'm saving a lot. I don't want to give up that savings. A home is a forced savings account. I did a, uh, a live 
uh, stream last night on, on Instagram and TikTok and a bunch of, and, and one of uh, my past interviewees, uh, episode 109, Brian, he jumped on Instagram and he came on. He was sitting in his backyard smoking a cigar, watching a baseball game. And that's all he kept saying. He's like, yeah, it's some months, some months it's tough, but the forced savings account. And I think for someone like you, it seems like you've got a good analytical mind. Uh, <laughs> it was a tough pill to swallow at first, though, huh? Or, or were you all in? It was tough to swallow. I'm not going to pretend that I didn't have some sleepless nights. Uh, yep. It's tricky going from a position where, you know, your worst case scenario, if you go over budget, is just your money doesn't go up at the end of the month. You know, with a home, there's a lot more reward, but there's a lot more potential risk. So having that savings would be a lot more comfortable. But again, you know, I've got options, you know, other forms of savings. And of course, I'm building a lot of equity. So, And that's where the 5% can come in. Um, you know, when people talk to me about being house poor, most of the time you're house poor, it's because you sunk everything you can. And then you're kind of living paycheck to paycheck, hoping you can cover the mortgage. So having some sort of back into it is very important. So tell us about the process. You got approved in 72 hours. Um, how quickly did you start looking at homes? Had you done your research ahead of time? What had you do? What did you do? Did you know exactly where you wanted to live? I had a couple ideas of areas that I wanted to live. And looking around a little bit more, I found some other places that I thought might be okay. I am actually right now living in one of the areas that I'd picked out from the beginning that seemed like one of the places I might like. We probably started looking at properties within about two weeks after reaching out. So it was pretty quick that we started moving. I think we ended up seeing maybe 15 to 20 before we settled on this one. Did you start on, did you do a lot of your research online before you got in the car and went and looked at places? Yes, I've been looking at things online for years, just to try to figure out what else is out there on the market, kind of what price points I can look at, try to get a good feel of what things should be costing. Do you think that you stayed in that first, first? so that you picked this first area for a reason. Was it because of your early research of the types of houses, or is it a neighborhood that you're familiar with or grew up in or close to work? What was your reason for the neighborhood? Uh, it's a neighborhood that's fairly walkable, but a lot more quiet than where I was before. I lived right off of Lower Greenville in Dallas, which is an awesome place to live. But, you know, once you start to hit 30 like I am, it's not quite as nice to be able to walk to the bars all the time. Um, you start to want a little bit more quiet because you get cranky when you don't sleep enough. Um, so now where I am, there's still some nightlife around. So I've got stuff within walking distance of me. But at the same time, I can sleep without, you know, hearing ambulances drive by my apartment. I think there's a difference in life when you realize when the most important thing in the world is being able to do a pub crawl to multiple places or to just a couple places. I just uh, pub crawl really to my bed now. You crawl to your bed now. I love it. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, and, and are you working at home or are you commuting? I commute. I'm about 10 minutes closer than I was too. So that's another benefit. Oh, wow. That's fantastic. So what were your things? What were the things you were looking for in the place? Uh, did you did you have was there anything that you were not expecting to get? Um, you're obviously happy with your office or and were there compromises? I would definitely say there were compromises. I think one of the biggest things that keeps jumping out at to me is like how used to living with no amenities I was. So my dishwasher dries my dishes and that's like mind blowing for me now. 
Um, I have a washer that doesn't stain my clothes. Um, I have shower pressure or like water pressure in the shower. When I turn the hot water on, it stays on. I have central AC and heating and I didn't have those before. So just little things that people take for granted just blew me away. <laughs> okay, now wait, those were all the pluses. What about what about the compromises when you were shopping? Did you did your price point uh give up a room or give up a yard or location? What was it? Uh I'm missing a yard. I do wish I had been able to get that. I'm on the first floor, which I didn't prefer because I don't like having upstairs neighbors, but so far it's not been as bad as I expected. Uh, I'll say there's a pretty big difference in having upstairs neighbors in a condo versus having upstairs neighbors in an apartment. It's definitely a lot quieter. Plus, you know, my ceilings are like 10 or 12 feet tall now or something. Wow. Yeah. So that makes a huge difference for people upstairs. Something I don't think people don't realize is not all condos, but many condos are actually built to different code. So they're much quieter than apartments. Right. Which was a happy surprise for me, for sure. That's awesome. Yeah, it's it's a tough thing to figure out when you're at an inspection in the middle of the day if the other people are out of town or not or not there. You know, at right, work. right, um, exactly. That's great. So you saw about fifteen homes. Um, you were uh, a lot of people that are listening to this, whether it's uh, in the future or um, if they're listening to it now in 2023. Uh, was it competitive for you, or was the market still slow when you were shopping? So I was buying during the winter, so I didn't run into too many issues with competitivity. I did have, actually, the very first condo I looked at, you know, I looked at Cole and I said, you know, I'm happy to be your easiest buyer and put in an offer on the very first home. Uh, and we did. It had just gone on the market like the day before, but they'd already accepted another offer. So I think that one was... Uh, very competitively priced, especially for the area that it was. But for the most part, I don't really feel like I had to compete with people. I would say kind of the biggest point in some of the areas that I looked is a lot of the areas with actual houses instead of condos. A lot of those have been kind of picked over by investors looking to just flip the apartment or the house. So I did run into a lot of properties that looked really nice on the outside. Then once you got into the inside, you could tell that they've just, you know, redone the kitchen, put a fresh coat of paint on it, and then marked it up $100,000. Uh, so the old on trick. the pig, huh? Yep. So those yeah. looked really nice. But then once you looked a little closer, it's, oh, I see what this is. I think it's important for uh, all the people out there who are looking at homes to understand that uh, there are people who make a living flipping these places. Uh, fortunately, now, when you have the right real estate team, um, you know, the public can actually look on your own. You can find out when it sold, what it sold for, and then look at the list price. Uh, your realtor, especially if they're a good unicorn, they're going to be able to have that information for you, too. Um, right. I can walk into a house right now and smell a flip you know, within the first two feet walking in. Um, and then you just have to know where to look. You have to look under, lift up the hood as it were. Um, right. Because that, you know, I, I, I will often squint immediately because I don't want to look at the carpet and I don't want to look at the paint. I want to just see what the layout's like and then start looking behind everything. Look, pull the, the cabinets open under the sink and look at the plumbing go outside and look at the electrical. I love the, the places that are flipped 
and everything inside looks like it's 2023 and the electrical panel and the water heater look like they're from the 1940s. Oh it's, yeah. Uh, I did have to replace my electrical panel. So that one hit a little close to home. Oh, <laughs> now was that, was that something that you uh, acknowledged during the inspection period and was one of those compromises you were willing to make? Yes, we actually got some pretty significant savings off of the price because of that and a couple other issues we found in the inspection. So we actually got very close to walking away from the deal. Then um, I told my realtor, yeah, I guess uh, tell him we'll keep looking. So five minutes later, I get a call back from Cole and he says, hey, so I hope you won't be mad. Kind of went out on the ledge a little bit. I called the buyer or the seller and said, you know, now that you know about these issues, you have to disclose them to anybody. Now, I can try to salvage this with my my buyer, but we're going to need $10,000 off to do it. And, uh, you know, Cole was thinking this is going to be a you know bargaining point. Maybe we'll get five or $6,000 back. And nope, they accepted. So ended up getting an extra between that and the amount that it appraised for over, over the uh, – sale price, I ended up with over 10% of equity on a 5% down purchase. Wow. That's amazing. There, now, for those of you guys who are just the beginning of your process, say, save this podcast and come back and listen to it when you go into and start writing offers. Um, and those of you guys who are getting ready to write offers, uh, I hope you heard all that. There are so many, those are just a tip of the iceberg of the things that can happen. I'll start with the confusing one first, the appraisal. When your home appraises, the seller doesn't need to know how much it appraises for. The buyer purchases the appraisal and the buyer's lender. And you might know, oh my gosh, uh, I bought this home for 300 and it appraised for 325 or appraised for 305 or 310. All you have to do then is tell the seller, yep, we're good. We're going to remove the appraisal contingency or option period. But you're walking into that knowing that you have that huge equity under your belt. And then you can turn around and say, boy, well, it appraised and my loan is still good. But boy, we found all these problems with the inspection. And I love that Cole went ahead and, and asked asked for 10, hoping for five, and then still got 10 for you. Oh, yeah. It took my monthly payment from like 20 well, I don't know what it would have been, twenty six or twenty seven hundred a month, and now I'm paying twenty four. So, three hundred dollars oh a God. month is not anything to sneeze at. That's like a refinance before you ever got in the home. That's incredible, right? Did uh, that now the ten thousand dollars is supposed to be allocated for repairs. This is why I always say do a credit instead of having the seller actually do the repairs for you. Did you end up? doing all $10,000 worth of repairs or keep that money to help lower your payment? So what we actually did instead, uh, Cole had already negotiated about $8,500 in seller credits um, that okay. were going to be based on a buy-down buy, a buy down program. So yes. basically, we increased the purchase amount, and in exchange, the seller prepaid two years' worth of interest for us. So that meant that for the first two years until I can refinance, my payments are going to be lower every month. So when we got that extra $10,000, we originally planned on that being a credit, then realized, oh, hey, we've actually gotten too many credits based on my down payment. 
So we had to find something else to do with that $10,000. Ultimately, we ended up taking it out of the sales price, which is how I ended up with the extra 5% equity. Wow, that is that is amazing. That is a good. Now I have to ask you: Did was that was any of that stuff that you had researched and figured out, or did your real estate team offer all of those options to you? I had no idea what was happening during that part. Uh, okay, rewind everybody. Um, you can research your face off, and you can do everything you can online, but there's no way that uh, uh, there's not. You cannot put enough information into. Google or chat GPT for it to give you all of the options that could be on the table. If uh, many of you might listen to that last little segment there and have no idea what he's talking about. I do this every day. And so does his unicorn team in this market right now. The fact that you said that, that they negotiated a two year buy down for you. So smart. That's because of those of us that are looking at it are realizing that the interest rates right now are, and especially when you bought up up near the sevens at that point, it's probably the highest it was going to be in a long time. And negotiating two years of interest paid means that by the time that you're going to start paying that, you're going to be in a nice, comfortable, normal position. Have you been watching the news recently? It's uh, April as we're recording this right now. We've had six straight weeks of mortgage rates going down. So things are looking good for you, my friend. Yep. And one thing I learned from my lender as well is if I refinance while I've still got some pending interest credits, those are actually paid back to the principal instead of the interest. So that's potentially another few thousand dollars worth of equity. That's huge. Turns your turns your 30-year loan into a 28-year loan pretty darn quick. That's really neat. Wow. Anything else about the process that you want to share with the folks out here? Because this is a, a whirlwind lesson um, on how having the right team to be creative with your payment process, because let's, let's be very clear. You put 5% down, but I'm assuming that you had more than that. So, yes. okay. So you didn't have to restructure the deal in all those creative ways, but because you had the right team with you, you ended up getting to keep all, uh, uh, keep the largest amount of your cash while renegotiating and restructuring essentially 18.5 in credits for you, that's pretty darn great. Yep. And, wow. you know, at the end of the day, w the whole property appreciates, not just what you put down. So whether you put 5% down or 10% down, you still get the same rate of appreciation. So if you're not planning on being in a home for long term or, you know, paying off the mortgage in that home, it really doesn't benefit you to put down the extra cost that much in the short term. I mean, it'll lower your monthly payment a little bit, but when it comes time to sell, that's just money that you're getting back that was sitting in a bank account, not or, you know, sitting in your house equity, not really growing the same way it would as if you had it in the stock market. Very true. There's, there's, there's so many, you know, there are people that say you should always have a mortgage. There are people that say you should never have a mortgage. And financially, you know, people, it just depends on how you want to work your money. But when we're talking about first-time homebuyers who have high rents anyway, the the leveraging of letting that bank have as little money of yours as possible, and then you keep the rest for yourself. Uh, sure, if you, if you put 20% down when you sell the house, you feel like you get a big check. But most of the time, people are putting that into their next home anyway. At this point, and you know, at a young point in your life, you've got money in the bank. And for you, that's the security that you're looking for, correct? 
Right. So if something goes wrong, like, say, for instance, if I find out when I turn my AC on that it kind of smells like cigarettes, I've got some money to take care of it. Now, is that a hypothetical or is that something that happened? It's not a hypothetical. <laughs> did, did you get the AC guy on, on retainer? Uh, I don't know if that's something that you can do out there, but, uh, you know, I know a lot of companies do that. You have them come out for like a hundred bucks a year and just check it out for you. You know what? I'm going to get it cleaned. And then my, uh, seller or my realtor also negotiated a home warranty credit for me. So my hope is just to keep that going and, uh, hope the AC craps out while that's still active. Yeah. At at, uh, most of the time it's a one year warranty. So around, uh, 11 months. Uh, you just kind of start running everything really, really hard and long and, and see if it breaks. And then it's about 75 bucks to get it fixed. Yep. That's better than replacing the whole thing. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Well, this has been fascinating and I'm, I'm just so thrilled that this worked out for you. And like I said, I happen to know that team really well, you know, you're, you're, I I wish that people would go back and, and listen to this one again and understand that, uh, there's a mindset a mindset that Corey has, which is uh, using this as a foundation, using this as a savings account. You know, with the average age of the first time home buyer being 36 years old, I mean, for Corey, that could be six or seven years that he would have been paying rent, even though you said it was super low. That's still rent and you're not saving. (laughs) Uh, But now by getting this home in the place that you wanted, you're setting yourself up for life. Uh, Any other... Any other tips or advice for anybody out there? I mean, we've talked about everything. If you haven't got anything, that's cool. I just thought I'd ask. Any weird stuff? Any weird things that happened? Like I said, I don't want everybody to think, "Oh, I just called David." Then in you know ninety days, I have a house, no problem. Uh, So, anything else you learned along the way? I mean, there's definitely all kinds of things. I would say, you know, you're going to surprise yourself by how willing that you'll be to compromise. You know, you could look for a house for two months, three months, six months to a year and still not find the perfect one. There's not always the perfect one, but you have to remind yourself the benefits of having a more permanent place than an apartment outweigh living in the perfect home. And you've got the rest of your life to look for that. That is, I think, the stepping stone part of it, especially I think the new generation, you know, the younger or yeah, younger millennials and Gen Z are starting to realize that getting that picket fence uh, at 25, 30 is not really uh, an easy scenario right now, but you have the, you have a great mindset. And I hope people really take to heart and listen to the way that you're seeing this. I don't think that I tell people never buy a home as an investment because I think when people buy a home as investment, they think they're going to turn around and sell it for a hundred thousand dollar profit in two years. I would say you have more of an investment mindset with the whole process and that's going to benefit you greatly as we move forward. So congratulations to you. Thanks again. And we really appreciate you being on the show. Yeah, Thank you. Appreciate you having me and appreciate all your help and uh, the cutting board. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, I figure now that you know, you've got a dishwasher that can dry things, you're going to be more inclined to cook. So that'll be more fun for you, right? Yeah, and I have counter space for the first time in six years. (laughs) Love it. Thanks for that. Appreciate it.
Yes, the audio sucked, but man, was there so many great things in that interview. Sorry about that. That mic is done, gone. But if you can muscle through that one, there are some great tips and great advice in that interview. Now, Corey even said, sure, he was there and it might not be furnished because, uh, as he said, uh, he blew all his money on a condo. <laughs> you might not be able to hear it on the audio, but he's a very funny dude. Uh, and that was a quick comeback to my question. And it wasn't a complaint from him. Corey had a plan and he worked it flawlessly. And then he got some huge bonuses because he hired a straight up badass unicorn that crushed his deal for him. You guys out there getting ready to buy your first home, you can learn a lot from Corey of what to do before, I'm talking way before you are ready for a unicorn to negotiate the deal for you, like months and months and months, even a year before. Corey is a doer. Listen back to his planning tips, especially the budgeting. Oh, the budgeting. I mean, his budgeting was so intense, he paid off his student loans and his car. Now, you might not have to pay off your entire student loan or your car to be eligible to buy a home. Eligible? That's the word I was looking for. Uh, but gang, uh, there's a lesson to be learned in this. No matter what you're doing, paying it off completely or just paying it down while you're trying to balance your savings, instead of pounding out your payments just to your debt, thinking that you have to eliminate all of your debt before you get a support team, to help you make your specific personal plan, use Corey's budgeting automation to work an automated savings account. And then you can discuss the balancing act of whether you should be paying off your debt or saving. And that's something you can discuss with your unicorn team. But you do that by building up an account. The key that Corey talked about was the reverse savings plan. Now, that means you pay yourself first. You might have heard this before, but listen close. Corey was a master at this. This is how you build your savings. Reverse it. Make the budget. Inside that budget, just like your rent, your water, your electric, and your groceries, include savings as a monthly bill. That, my friends, is paying yourself first and do it automatically. And then you can spend whatever's left over. Most people do that in the reverse. They pay the bills, then they spend on things, and then at the end of the month, there's anything left over, they toss that into a savings account. Reverse that, Missy Elliott style. Is it worth it? Let me work it. I put my thing down, automate, reverse it. Yes, my apologies to Missy for replacing flip it and with automate. Uh, but in her honor, uh, I promise that I will lip sync to a song of hers with a fisheye lens and a giant, bright-colored, puffy jumpsuit. So it doesn't matter whether you found my Missy Elliott bars highly entertaining or unbearably cringy, my job is done. Now you will not easily be able to get that out of your head, and you're going to be reminded how to reverse your budget properly. Is it worth it? Let me work it. I put my thing down, automate, reverse it. Uh. Oh, nothing like a white guy from Orange County doing Missy Elliott. For me, the biggest takeaway from Corey, besides that dope Missy Elliott parody that is going to rival Weird Al, it wasn't for him. The process was easier than he expected. Only took him two weeks of looking at homes. He was so prepared that he was the fastest loan approval that they had ever seen. And then Homie followed the advice of the unicorn and scored a killer deal with five full percent of free equity. 
$18,500 in concessions back to him for free. Homie got a $300,000 home and got 5% back to him in credits, and he only put 5% down. So technically, that's like zero down, right? A little math in there. And one of the lessons we get from that is that most people think that uh, in order to get a bitching realtor who does a bitching job for them, the only way to measure that is if they get you a home for under the list price, you know, score a deal, or you get some kind of big fat credit to you from the seller. And I'm here to let you folks know that any novice can figure things out like that. Anybody who doesn't understand the entire process can easily say, hey, I got it under the list price and act like that's kind of a deal. Remember, you get to choose your realtor. You don't have to choose a novice. You can choose anybody you want. They're pretty much free to you, paid for by the seller. And there are 3 million licensed agents. And right now, my unicorn stable's only got about 300 people. So we're talking 0.01%. Yeah, that's the right math. 0.01% of the realtors out there have actually passed the test to make sure that they can work with the folks who listen to the How to Buy a Home podcast. They're trained to know how to help you get the best deal and not just the simple way by cutting that off the price. Doing a deal like Corey got 5% off of the list price and instant equity. Now, did you fully comprehend all the factors that netted Corey that deal? No, probably not. And neither did he until they were presented and explained to him. The training and the savvy of a solid unicorn buyer's agent, that is what is going to help you and what also help Corey see all the options available for a deal that at Corey at one point was rightfully almost dead. And the unicorn turned it into a giant win for Corey. And understanding how to do that, that's priceless. The knowledge to be able to explain the no-win situation to the seller due to the issues that they found during the inspection. By explaining that those things were going to have to be exposed to any future buyers, so why didn't they figure out a way to just work with them on their best option? That was genius. Amazing work by the unicorn. And I'm not even going to go into all the multiple other layers. I mean, it was a lot to get that $18,500. It's rare that a realtor gets a deal by negotiating a lower price or just a credit. You get the deal by all the extras. And unfortunately, most buyers judge, I scored or I crushed my deal just looking at the list price. You see, Corey's Unicorn knew that with a favorable appraisal already in hand, once they ran into things like inspection issues, he could fold that into the deal and also fold in a buy-down on the mortgage interest rate, including a two-year credit mixed with a price reduction to get maximum credits that even went above and beyond what the lending guidelines would allow. All those things together meant that Corey could walk into the deal putting 5% down, getting over 5% in equity, essentially making it a zero down payment for a home that was valued at a great appraisal. Now, does that make perfect sense to you? No, of course not. But that's why you hire the best unicorn support team. So that if options like these present themselves, if they become available to you, they know how to do it. They know how to explain it to you. And then they know how to negotiate it on your behalf. In the end, it didn't take the buyer, 
Corey understanding all of this before they got into the transaction and then whipping them out like arrows from his quiver. I read about this. I heard about this. I Googled that. All of these things that were in the quiver of the unicorn team helped him not only to keep from getting ripped off, helped him not only to make sure he didn't buy a lemon, but they ended up getting him a killer deal. It was the time, the effort, and the energy that Corey spent preparing to set himself up to have all the ducks in a row financially and then let the team work the best deal. Ultimately, his choosing the correct team saved him way more than researching the entire process of how to purchase a home. And in fact, it was Corey's preparation that really helped him out the most. I mean, because of his preparation, getting ready, his was the fastest loan approval they'd ever seen. It only took him two weeks to look at the houses. He was going through bidding wars, but his unicorn got his offer accepted. Uh, it figured out that, oh my gosh, interest rates are going up. They're too high. So the unicorn negotiated a buy down of the rate paid for by the seller. The inspection was scary and the unicorn negotiated credits to fix those things on his schedule with his people. They wanted to potentially leave the deal the unicorn negotiated and actually ended up hardballing to get him a lower price. And they had to do that because they had too many credits. They talked the seller into understanding that this was their best offer, even giving away over $18,000. And they scored a deal the seller could live with. And now Corey's stoked to get into this house with such incredible built-in value. And the home is more than he ever imagined. Bottom line, if you're out there and you're getting scared about this and you're looking around and you're seeing the internet says that buying a home, especially right now, is insane and it's scary and it's something that's supposed to freak you out, understand this. Yeah, it can be tough. And it's not always necessarily the market that is making it tough. Sometimes it's the real estate industry. It's the representatives that are not part of that best 0.01% of the realtors. Corey even said that thanks to his preparation and choice of support team, that it was an easy transaction because he had the right realtor. So I don't know if you're ready today and I don't know if it's going to be easy for you. Honestly, it might not be easy right now, but I'm pretty sure that with the right preparation and the right game plan, it can be easier than you think it might be. Maybe not today, but when you're prepared, go back, Listen to episode 164, The Shoots and Ladders. Find out where you are on the board with the team and then start preparing today. You can do this. 